Hello there. Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to better understand the impact that they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. Yeah, and you can find or follow us on social media. We have an Instagram, Facebook, and a TikTok, which are all at From Skirts to Scrubs. And we also have a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. You can check out our website for more information on our episodes, show notes, sources, and more at FromSkirtsToScrubs.com. Yep, and you can also subscribe to our podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do that, but you can also leave a five-star rating on Spotify if you'd like. And welcome everyone back to episode 48. As many FSTS stands know, Alicia and I are both med students who are applying ob residency this upcoming fall, actually. Ah! I know, it's terrifying. But I don't know about you, but in my experience, like whenever I tell people that I'm interested in doing ob or now I confidently say I'm applying OB-GYN whenever anyone asks me, I always get this face that's always like, Mm, like why like why are you applying ob like everyone always has their opinion about ob guy as a specialty mm-hmm. it's like 90 percent of the time a negative reaction once i literally thanked a resident for telling me congrats to deciding to apply to ob and i because i was just so happy to have such a supportive reaction and i was like thank <laughs> you so much for saying something nice but actually there's one specialty where all the residents were like super cool and they were like Oh, like that's so cool! You're doing OB. It's so relevant, it's so important. And like, guess what specialty that was? Psychiatry, baby. It was psychiatry. They were like, "That's so cool! They're so they were, nice." I know they're so nice. And they were like, "Psychiatry and OB guy are so intertwined. Like, it's so important that you understand psychiatry as an OB guy because there's a field of psychiatry called perinatal psychiatry." Yeah. And you're probably like, "What? What in the heck is that?" Well, it's literally a field of psych that focuses on mental illnesses and disorders that occur during pregnancy and up to one year postpartum. So today we're just going to do a little introduction into perinatal psychiatry. We'll talk about some of the common disorders, moments throughout history that are key moments to this field, and then kind of like a little bit about it today. For those of you who don't know, the peripartum period is defined as the time period that is shortly before during and immediately after giving birth. So during this episode, we'll talk kind of like peripartum, postpartum interchangeably. Postpartum's after birth and peripartum's encompassing before, during, and after giving birth to your child. So everyone knows. Before we get into that, Alicia, do you know anything about perinatal psych? Yeah, I know a little bit about perinatal psych. So I was on my psychiatry rotation. We rotated in our perinatal psych clinic which was very oh, cool. Oh, I know that. And, That's cool. Oh, yeah. There's like a very, there's a perinatal psych clinic, like specifically at the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And it's lovely. And they essentially like take care of patients. It's like a fully psychiatry run program. Yeah. Um, but they will take care of peripartum moms um, and pregnant people, mm-hmm. which is awesome. So issues of depression and psychosis and things like that have come up and I've seen like intakes and follow-up appointments about those things. But I'm very, very curious about the history because I'm certain that it's a rich history since anything within psychiatry is always so interesting. 
and I'm excited to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about the background. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, the history was a struggle to find, but I think it's super interesting. I'm happy with what I was able to discover. So let's get into it then. Let's do it. So I'm going to start with an introduction to some of the common diseases that women experience during their like peripartum period, mental health wise. Um, because if I jump like straight into the history and you have no idea what diseases we're talking about, you're going to be confusion basically. Um, so there are two main diseases really that are super prevalent that we'll talk about. One is baby blues. The second one is postpartum depression and then like postpartum psychosis. And the order that I stated them in are kind of the order of like increasing intensity in a way. So baby blues are a depressive, sad, tearful, like state or symptoms that a lot of women experience in the first few days. So like about a week or two after birth and it resolves without any treatment too. So usually like this is super normal and common and it goes away without you needing to seek medical help. It's actually so common that about like 70 to 80% of all women in their postpartum period experience this. Isn't it because there's a withdrawal of the hormones in, in pregnancy and that's why you yeah, experience? Yeah, that's the theory. Okay. Yeah, but in some women, these depressive symptoms like persist past two weeks and these usually require treatment from medical provider. And actually the DSM-5, which is like the holy grail book for psychiatry, the criteria for postpartum depression is... You have to have at least one of the following symptoms present for two weeks within your postpartum period, which they define as within four weeks of delivery. And these symptoms have to significantly affect your life and your like ability to function as a human, basically. Mm -hmm. So some of these symptoms are depression, anhedonia, which is like lack of interest in doing things that you used to like, decreased appetite, disturbance of sleep, lack of energy, excessive guilt, mm -hmm. and like suicidality. And these are very common, just like major depressive depressive disorder symptoms as well. But this is more specifically for the postpartum periods. So that's how they define it. So that's postpartum depression. You can also in the period of postpartum start to experience thoughts of hurting yourself or your baby, which can make it like very dire condition, like in this instant. Women can also start to experience symptoms where they believe something is not true, like their baby is the devil, or they start to see things that are not there, such as like other family members who have passed talking to them, or maybe angels coming down and like blessing their baby. And these symptoms push women into the category of postpartum psychosis, which is actually a medical emergency because it has a very high risk for the mom and the baby. So we'll delve more into that a bit later, but I just wanted to like give everyone a good foundation to go off of. Love it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we'll go into talking about a little bit of the history. So after many PubMed and JSTAR searches, <laughs> I was able to find a little bit of ancient history, actually, concerning postpartum depression, oh, mainly nice. within ancient Greece. Yeah, it was, I put in the work. I will let you know. I appreciate so, it. Yes. So most of these are within ancient Greece because they were in like all these medical texts that we talk about all the time right. that they found some mentionings that might be related to postpartum depression, mostly. And these theories, like, like I said, we talk about a lot of medical theories from ancient Greece and they apply to all of these theories of postpartum depression that they had. So one thing that came up a lot was, of course, the four humors, which mm -hmm. are like the idea they've always 
well, these four humors in your body and the off balance of them cause illness. So they thought that maybe black and yellow bile could build up in your body and cause symptoms of melancholy, which is like feeling sad, feeling really slow, having a lot of sorrow. Basically, it's depression. So they thought, okay, maybe this is what causes depression. Another idea that was often spoken about is this connection, which doesn't exist, but they thought it did exist. It's the connection between your uterus, your breast, and your brain. And this connection <laughs> moves the around. Trifecta. Yeah, I gotta get all the all the important ones in women, apparently. It moves around menstrual blood and breast milk. So like it's this connection track between them all. And they thought that this probably might have something to do with why women like experience postpartum mental health issues. And actually in our classical women episode, we talked a little bit about a track between your like uterus and breast thought there was, and they thought that like milk moved between those two. So it's kind of like a continuation yeah. of that idea. Okay. Um, so more specifically, Hippocrates in 400 BC noted a patient who most likely had postpartum psychosis, they think. So this is like the first actual like case study written down about postpartum mental illness. So this was a woman who gave birth to twins and then the following day had like an abundance of local discharge, which mm. like that is just the normal discharge you have basically after birth. But they thought it was a little, they thought like, mm, maybe something's going out, it's a little discharge. I don't know. So this woman's first night after birth was sleepless, silent, and sulky, they said. On the sixth night, she was found to be wandering around the night, not sleeping at all. On the 11th day, she started to go out of her mind. And the fourth day, she started having convulsions, cold extremities, and then she died on the 17th. Oh, my God. Yes. Crazy. Now, you can take this however you want. You might think there might be something else, but historians seem to think this is one of the first forms of very part of mental illness. And Hippocrates, like in this case, he wrote down basically, believed that it was due to suppressing discharge or milk, like discharge from your vagina after birth or milk from the breast and suppressing those discharges of blood and milk would basically make your way up to the brain through those tracks they thought existed. And this could cause postpartum mental illnesses. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, that's not unreasonable given what they believed. Yes. Um, And for me, I... I doubt this woman had postpartum psychosis, mostly because sometimes like convulsions, cold extremities and death for no reason are, are sus. Yeah. Um, so you can think about what else that could be and we'll put a pin in it and we'll come back to it later. So just okay. remember that. Okay. Okay. Also within like Greek culture, there's a myth that talks a little bit about mental illness and pregnancy. So there's this myth where this woman named... Phaedra, and she was the wife of the king of Athens, Theseus. And there's honestly a lot going on in this myth, but to pit it to its core of what we want to talk about, the wife of Theseus falls in love with her stepson, Hippolytus is the name. And then she ends up having a child with him, potentially. She's like supposed to be this oh. like obsessive woman who's very sexual and like isn't gratified by her husband. So like hooks up with her stepson, basically. Okay. Anywho. After she has this child, apparently, she is suddenly cheerless, lacking of energy, restless, guilty, Mm. sleepless, and suicidal. So this is very clearly postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I think this is super interesting because 
there is like a significant part of stories, whether they're myths or plays or whatever, that represent the time that they were created in. So basically the fact that most of these stories, especially in ancient times, as you can tell, were often written by men. So the fact that there is even an apparent story of peripartum mental illness within a myth says a lot about how prevalent this issue might have been at the time because it was common enough that men noticed and they put it into mythology and different areas like of consumption Mm -hmm. for their culture. And this issue might have been super prevalent in places like ancient Greece because social and economic pressure was super high to have children and there was very high infant mortality rates. So women would feel very anxious and stressed about their pregnancies which mm. which could predispose them to things like postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. So, pretty interesting there. Very interesting. Additionally, there was a physician by the name of Saronis. I think we've mentioned him once or twice before. But he wrote a text called the Gynecurium Libri the Fourth. So this is his fourth text basically writing about gynecological conditions. And this document clearly documents three mental illnesses, which he calls mania, melancholy, and phrenitis, aka like mania is the same, paranoia, mania, depression, and hallucinations from having a high fever is what phrenitis is. Interesting. Yeah. So he thought these are the three ways you can categorize mental illness. And he believed that the cause of mental illnesses was due to a loss of mental equilibrium. And more specifically, when it comes to peripartum illness, he noted that nursing, nursing women could become more dangerous and harm their babies. Mm. So little notes of psychosis in there too, if you're harming your baby. But this is where the equilibrium part comes in. So Alicia, what do you think these, this Greek physician would theorize to like what could cause a shift in your equilibrium? The humors. Yeah, basically. But how do you think the humors would shift? Like something they, like would go do? into the breast and that's why. Yeah. It's a good theory, but I meant like something the patient is doing that could cause something to shift. Not it's having kind of sex. Hard. Also a really good guess, but you're not going to get it. So it's actually food. He thought that the what? food you ate. Yeah. He thought I was that, never like, going to get that. I know. I was trying to like, I have no idea how to lead her into this, but it's fine. Um, so it's actually food. So he thought that if you had like a lack of nutritional balance, this led to a, a condition called dyscrasia, dyscrasia. Huh. And I looked it up and literally like it has a more common definition now, but the, it says like in the dictionary at the bottom, like, oh, the original definition of this is literally the disorder for having your humors out of balance. Like that is the name oh. of the disorder of your humors being out of balance, which is interesting. So this yeah. doctor thought, okay, the accumulation of the yellow and black bile, like I mentioned earlier, contributes to symptoms of like irritation, depression, and being very stressed. So, yeah. Bit of a theme of always like going back to all these theories we talked about before. Yeah. Moving into the Middle Ages, there's a text called the Trotula, which was three books about women's medicine in Italy in the 12th century. And there's there's one comment within it where a female doctor believes that postpartum mental disturbances are due to increased moisture within the body, 
after childbirth. Why, why do you think increased moisture in your body is going to cause you to have depressive symptoms or psychosis? Uh, I was more so thinking like because there was so much moisture in their body, they were crying a lot. Maybe yes, that's not right. That's literally it. That is literally it. Yeah, you got it. So uh, she thought that there was so much moisture in the womb that it would like absorb maybe through those tracks they thought existed and it'd go mm-hmm. up to your brain and your brain would fill it with water. And then there was so much water would overrun. It would go through your eyes and it would cause Aww. women to involuntarily shed tears. Cry. And therefore a mental breakdown. <laughs> yes. So that was a theory in the Middle Ages, which I think is kind of hilarious. That is funny. I see the thought process there. I'm like, hey, is my brain full of water? There's a lot of tears. <laughs> On my like, end, the moisture is the problem. I figured it out. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just the moisture. Yeah, less water, Alicia. Less water. <laughs> Moving forward to the 1800s, so a lot more recently, doctors started to seriously treat and investigate peripartum mental illnesses at this time. So, in the early 1800s, there's a man by the name of Jean Etienne Dominique Jean Valjean. Esquire. No, Jean Valjean. Two four six zero one. No, no, it's this him. other man who was a French psychiatrist. And apparently people would say like he devoted his life to exclusively studying insanity, basically. So he was very wow. interested in psychiatry. And he advocated, he believed that mental illness came from a passion of the soul. Why? I'm not sure. But this was his theory. And he was a strong advocate for the treatment of mentally ill patients and pushed for physicians to be equally invested in treating mentally ill patients as they are physically ill patients. Yeah. Which is lit, especially in the 1800s. Cause like, where do you think mentally ill patients are going in the 1800s? Jail. Jail probably was another place. Asylums. Yes. Asylums. And if anyone knows anything about asylums, which we'll eventually do an episode on them, they're not great places that they don't treat their patients. Well, they're basically jail. (laughs) For mentally ill patients. So he was a big advocate of saying we need to treat these patients right and they need to actually receive treatment instead of just like being shunned and like put away by society. He also proposed that there was also three causes of of mental illness, but he was more specific to postpartum than Saronis and Greece was in ancient history. So Mm -hmm. he thought that the categories of mental illness were broken down into pregnancy, childbearing, and time after delivery. So we kind of just like broke it down to a timeline of when you could experience these symptoms, which is fair because that could be true. He also conducted the first study of women with peripartum uh, mental illnesses. So he studied Hmm. 92 women who experienced some form of peripartum illness, mental illness. And he found that 49 out of the 92 women had mania and 55 out of the 92 women recovered completely from their conditions. After the studies he conducted, he theorized that postpartum illnesses were due to women's failure to breastfeed and the suppression of their milk. Which, you know, as we'll talk about later, could be true, unsure, but he was thinking about it. He even added that these women should be treated, not punished. Oh, nice. Super sus, because like what punishments were happening, yeah. I do not know. Good. But good there was that. some talk in some of the articles about women being sent to asylums who were, were experiencing these mental health disorders. 
So there is mm-hmm. like probably a good number of women who like were being punished in a way if they were sent to mm-hmm. asylum. So he said these women need to be treated. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea that somehow lactation had something to do with mental illness was actually super common. I was shocked by this, but I found an American Medical Association article from the 1800s that was literally mm-hmm. all about this thing called lactational mania. It was like an actual disorder they thought that women had. Oh, fascinating. Right? So they kind of went over like a bunch of case studies and I also talk about in a second, but they also mentioned some um, various doctors who had different ideas of like what could be causing this. So there's this one dude, he was an English doctor named John McPherson, and he thought that lactation produced physical exhaustion, malnutrition, and anemia, which is what caused postpartum depression. And in general, by the medical community, it was thought that prolonged or excessive lactation was the chief cause of insanity during the postpartum period. Mm. But what is even more interesting is that the doctors noted that these periods of insanity were often coexisting with times of infection as well. Yes, that's what I thought. I thought that woman was septic. But you know what's confusing is that her extremities were cold. That's the one thing I was like, "Mm, a little weird. But I'm also like, if she was super sick and walking around, yes, like I would be cold too, I guess. Yeah. So it kind of like brings us back to this woman who Hippocrates like swear had postpartum whatever and Yeah, she probably had freaking encephalopathy and had like sepsis. Yes. And even like the woman from the myth, like they said, she started walking around acting all crazy and like she could have been delirious too and like causing a mania. So this could be because like during ancient times, all the way to today, women can experience sepsis, which is basically like the worst infection your body can ever get. It's an infection that goes in your blood. It's everywhere. Like your organs start shutting down. It's bad. And this can happen when like wounds aren't properly treated and taken care of. And in posts, like during delivery, you can experience, your body can experience injury, whether it's like vaginal tears or in the postpartum period when you're breastfeeding and you get like a breast infection those are all infections and if they're not treated they can lead to sepsis and sepsis can lead to delirium which is where patients start to act oddly they can be manic they can hallucinate they can have all these symptoms that make them look like they have a mental illness so literally what did we do before antibiotics like i don't even know (laughs) Everyone just died. died. We died. Yes, literally. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? So in ancient times, of course, like infection wasn't understood at all. So there's a super good chance that many women were subject to sepsis super commonly. And yeah. even in the lactational mania paper from the 1800s, there were like six-ish reports in it that detailed like the, all these women who were, had been documented to have these postpartum mental illnesses. Some of them weren't like they were like six years postpartum. So they were some of them they were like drawing, like they were like grabbing at strings kind of thing. Okay. But yeah, most of them were pretty near like actually postpartum. Takes and these years illnesses. postpartum. I know my, you have a six year old running around <laughs> postpartum. No, that's not actually it, guys. Don't believe that. Um, but it was funny because at the end of like almost every single case, they were like, oh, but we examined the woman and we actually ended up finding an infection in her. Wow. And they were like, that's notable. But then they never were like, it's probably because she has an infection. They still thought it was like a lactational mania she was having. 
but they know, but they kind of recognize like, oh, this woman has an infection, even like, like I said, in her breast or something from a childbirth injury. And they were like, that's interesting. Moving on, basically. <laughs> Which reminds me, like, I didn't look up, but do you know when antibiotics were discovered? I want to say it was the early 1900s, yeah, like about so 100 even, years ago. Yes, yeah, so they probably weren't able, even able to, like, treat those infections those women had. So that's why they categorize this still as mental illness. I'm not sure. Interesting, though. Yeah. So you would think that OB-GYN doctors would be interested in these conditions. And you kind of mentioned earlier when you were saying that you went to a peripartum psych clinic, you were like, oh, it was all psychiatrists. Yes. So OB-GYNs you think would be very involved in this care, but actually in the 1800s, when doctors started to take these conditions more seriously, the OB profession um, never actually mentioned postpartum depression in their published work at the time. And it's because around this time, the OB field was becoming increasingly surgical, actually. So because it was becoming so surgical and, you know, men were entering the field and the field was changing a lot at the time, they, they moved away from like looking at this postpartum period and focusing on mental health and psychiatry became like the main field for postpartum mental illnesses. Mm. And therefore, some of the other theories about postpartum mental illnesses are related to psych theories. Yeah. So because it's the 1800s and it's psychiatry. Freud! Freud! Yeah. What Freud, are you? He definitely had an influence. I couldn't find an actual, like, Freud thought this about peripartum mental illness. But I'm going to tell you these theories and you're going to be like, these were 100% influenced by Freud. Like, there's no way they weren't, basically. Okay, tell it's, me. It's mostly this, this one. So... These theories are actually from like the early 1900s, but they scream Freud. So there's this one Russian psychoanalyst named Zilberg, and he believed that postpartum psychosis was the result of an unresolved positive Oedipus situation. <laughs> knock, knock, <laughs> who's there? Freud. Yes, literally. And if you don't know what we're talking about, so Oedipus Rex was this dude in an old like myth from Greece or Rome who killed his father and slept with his mother. And it's like this whole, and Freud created this whole idea that if you have an Oedipus complex, then like you want to sleep with your mother or vice versa, like you want to sleep with your father, depending on like what your sex is. So they thought postpartum mental illness was because you were having an Oedipus situation, but like, I don't really understand like having it with your child because you just gave birth. Unsure. Yeah, don't like that. Yeah, another um, American psychoanalyst, his name was Rose, believed that postpartum depression is the result of the need for punishment for an unconscious Oedipal gratification of the transference of pregnancy and birth. That was a lot of words. I know. But so he's also drawing on this like Oedipus complex as a reason for having these symptoms. And if you listen to our Freud episode, which I think is episode three, it's an OG episode. It's a great episode. Yeah. We talk about the Oedipus complex and like about how suppressing, how Freud thought that suppressing all these urges people had often resulted in mental illness or like different acts of um, whatever. You can listen to the episode. But it's interesting that these psychoanalysts are like, okay, these women are suppressing their Oedipus complex and that's causing them to have postpartum depression for some reason. Yeah. Wow. Well interesting but 
we finally get to this one man who's like, he is the man of peripartum mental illness. So in 1858, Louis Victor Marc, he was a French psychiatrist. He published a text called The Treatise on the Madness of Women Who Are Pregnant, Recently Delivered, or Nursing. Wow. And Mark, yes. That is very on point. <laughs> yes, it literally is. And he was very into studying this field so much, in fact, that he's actually the founder of peripartum psychology specialty within psychiatry. So he's oh, the one who started the subspecialty, which is super interesting. That's cool. He, he published a bunch of works on peripartum mental health, and he conducted a lot of studies. So he and his studies even looked at things like family history, past medical and psych history, social determinants of health. He studied these like over 300 women. And from these studies, he proposed treatments that were a little sus, like putting leeches on the afflicted woman's vulva. Mm. But also everyone put leeches everywhere at that time. So I'm not even surprised. Yeah, that sounds so uncomfortable though. Yeah. But interestingly enough, he actually had a theory. <laughs> yeah, just moving on from that. He, interestingly enough, had a theory that the immune system and the endocrine system played a role in postpartum illness. He couldn't prove it, but hmm. he had a he he had a he had, he had a an vibe. inkling. He, he was, was like, like hmm. I feel like this is the truth. And that brings us to today, actually. Because he is a little right in a way. Yeah. So we'll talk about a little bit of postpartum illnesses today before we get into that Alicia, do you have any questions about anything we talked about so far before we move on i think so i think i was kind of interjecting as we went perfect let's move on then so in today's society according to the cdc so just looking at um, statistics in the united states one out of eight women will experience postpartum depression and it's even more common if, if it's your first delivery so it's super super common And now that we have more modern ways of conducting studies and like figuring out the cause of the disease, we can look at more of like, what are the actual maybe potential reasons for having peripartum mental illnesses? We just talked about a bunch of like ancient cases and theories moving like through the Middle Ages and 1800s. But what about now? Like, what are your psychiatrists believing now is the cause? Mm -hmm. And they haven't quite found like, this is the cause. This is like actually what is causing it. But they have a ton of theories of what can be a contributing factor in different things that people can look out for to see if you're at risk for having a peripartum mental illness. So since Mark, the OG founder of this specialty, thought that there might be a biological component to this, we will start there. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't know if we've ever talked about all the physiological changes, so the natural changes your body goes through for pregnancy, like what they are, and maybe one day we should, but there, yeah. and we're not going to do it all right now, but no. I will tell you, there is a ton of changes your body goes through and a lot are hormonal changes. And like I said, we can't go over all of them in detail here, but I'm, I'll try to boil it down a little bit for you just so you kind of understand a little bit what's going on. So during pregnancy, your estrogen and your progesterone levels are extremely high. And when you enter postpartum, they drop significantly. And then, so this is really important. And this is like kind of where our biological theories start. So in a non-pregnant woman, woman, just like a woman who has estrogen in her body, but she's not pregnant. If she has hypoestrogens, which means her estrogen is just really low, she can experience reduced well-being. So kind of like beginning to have symptoms of depression. And in more than 60% of women with a history of postpartum depression, if they experience 
um, estrogen levels that drop later on, they have depressive symptoms again. So there start like some people think that es- low estrogen might be a cause of having these depressive symptoms, but there hasn't really been any like solid, good research studies to prove this theory. So they cannot definitely say that. Mm. On the other hand, you mentioned this earlier, Alicia, when we were talking about baby blues, which like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode is 80% of women experience this and happens right after birth and it will, will resolve without treatment. But progesterone is actually associated with baby blues. So progesterone drops a ton after you give birth, just like estrogen Mm -hmm. does. But it actually reaches its lowest low point during your baby blues period. So they think that's probably why a lot of women experience baby blues. And the progesterone slowly starts to go back up as your body starts to like kind of re-regulate itself. And that's when the baby blues will resolve. Yeah, and that makes sense because your placenta is making a ton of estrogen. And so yeah. your placenta is out now. So it's like a sudden drop. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. They're not really sure if progesterone has anything to do with postpartum depression, though. But they're like mm-hmm. pretty confident about the baby blues. More about the hormones. There's also your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, mm-hmm. which very, very medical term. But it's how the majority of the hormones in your body in general are regulated. Like not just your reproductive hormones, most of your hormones in your body. And apparently it's been shown that if you, if you have a reduced HPA axis, then um, these can cause conditions like seasonal depression. It can also cause atypical depression, which is a type of depression where you have symptoms like lead paralysis, like your legs feel like lead basically, just in another form of depression. But it also has been shown to be a thing in postpartum depression. So having a reduced mm. HPA access. You can also have um, low levels of serotonin as one contributing factor. One study showed that women with postpartum depression have 20 to 30% less serotonin receptors in their body than women without postpartum depression, yeah. which is interesting. So if you have less receptors, then like your body cannot experience serotonin Therefore, you would have depressive symptoms like you would if you have low serotonin levels. There's also oxytocin, which is the hormone linked to breastfeeding. Low levels of this in your peripheral body, so not just like the center of your body, has been shown to be found in depressive patients in the postpartum period, which is interesting because failed breastfeeding or even just ending breastfeeding early or having any problems with breastfeeding is associated with postpartum depression. So those are just some of the different like hormonal things that can go on. Also thyroid stuff is closely connected. You can have a lot of mm-hmm. thyroid problems after birth. So we'll talk a little bit about something later that has to do with that. But um, post, like postpartum thyroid conditions can also cause or look like postpartum depression. But usually if you treat that thyroid condition, then it's the depression will go away, which is interesting as well. Yeah. There's also a lot of other factors that have to do with maybe why these illnesses happen. So it's kind of rapid fire some of these. Are you ready? Yeah. Stop me at any time. One, having a C-section over a vaginal birth increases your risk for postpartum depression. Okay. Women from poorer countries and women who have a lower income have higher rates of postpartum depression. Women who do not breastfeed have a higher risk. In the first six weeks of postpartum, women who have an undesired pregnancy or have there's a correlation yeah. between undesired pregnancy and postpartum depression. The so correlation doesn't mean causation, but there is a correlation there. 
if you have any marital conflicts during your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And interesting enough, um, if your partner, but they specify husband in the article, but I'm assuming it just is your whoever your partner is, if they are abusing alcohol, and that also has been associated with having postpartum depression, which is kind of interesting, I thought. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a low maternal intelligence associated with it, a low birth mm-hmm. weight is having preeclampsia is, which makes sense because that's a huge stressor. And I just talked about how negative life events can cause postpartum depression or be associated, not cause. Sorry. If it's your first pregnancy ever, you're at high risk for postpartum depression and psychosis. So first pregnancy in general, high risk. If you have any sleep loss, that puts you at risk for postpartum psychosis. So women who have really, really long labors or they give birth in the middle of the night, that can predispose them to having postpartum psychosis. Mm. And then also your personal psychiatric history. So if you already have depression, you already have anxiety, you have low self-esteem, like things like that. Or if you have symptoms of depression or anxiety during your pregnancy that maybe you didn't have before, this is going to put you at a higher risk of having postpartum depression. Or if you've had it in the past, you could have it again in a subsequent pregnancy. If you have a history of bipolar disorder, you are at an increased risk for postpartum psychosis as well. Yeah. And then lastly, if you have a history of substance abuse, you have a 20 to 45% chance of developing postpartum depression. And one study showed that mm. just any woman in general who drinks alcohol in her postpartum period, 39% of those women have depressive symptoms. Too. Wow. So I thought those were super interesting. So there's a ton of risk factors, honestly. And like I said, they don't have like this one, this is for sure what's causing it and this is how we're going to treat it. But there's a lot of like associations that they're seeing that allows them to kind of key in who might be at risk for these conditions. And treatment of these conditions often involve working with a psychiatrist and a therapist, going to sessions of therapy and using antidepressants. And as I mentioned earlier, postpartum psychosis is actually a medical emergency. And sometimes they will even use electroconversion therapy in these situations for postpartum psychosis, which I think we talked about in the episode about ECT. Maybe. Maybe. I can't remember if we specifically mentioned the peripartum period, but you can definitely use ECT in on refractory. Yeah. For yeah. like very severe cases of depression. Yeah. That's so obviously they're not going to use it for every patient that has psychosis, but it is an option. But I don't really want to like dive into all these treatments because I'm not a professional on them and I don't want to give medical advice, but I do want to end this episode on how to screen for postpartum depression and signs to look out for. So some common questions that medical providers may consider are, okay, is the mom had to share a history of substance abuse, any history of psych, depression, mania, bipolar, things we just talked about, how they've been feeling after having their baby or during their pregnancy. Are they having any like new symptoms they didn't have before? Like all of a sudden they have all these really weird compulsions or they're having abnormal thoughts or thoughts that like aren't regular for them. Are they having suicidal thoughts? All those types of things are good questions to ask new moms and women during their pregnancy. There's also this thing called the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Depression Scale. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. It's actually this um, forms only like 10 questions or 15 questions, something like that. And mothers fill it out either at their OB or pediatrician's office. Usually when um, their baby is still an infant, I think it's like four weeks or six weeks out. 
from delivery that they do the scale. And this scale is like, it doesn't diagnose the conditions, but it says, okay, this mom is probably at risk for having it. And we should refer them to someone who can help her like figure out what's going on, which is cool. And interesting enough, when I was on my psych rotation, when the residents were like, oh my God, so excited you're doing OB. They actually were telling me that they really encourage OBs to prescribe their own SSRIs, their postpartum depression patients. And they were saying they get frustrated that OBs like refer just for that. And they're like, you can prescribe SSRI, which is what an antidepressant is. And, you know, if it starts to get too complicated and it's not working, then send them to a psychiatrist. But like you can start the initial treatment because you should get these women treated as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. There's also other screening tools that like work better or worse or whatever. But most offices I've seen use the Edinburgh scale um, and it has its flaws. I'm like doing a research project on using the Edinburgh scale and there are flaws in it, but it's pretty good indicator for sure of what, like that this woman needs to seek help. Um, And then also you can check the patient's thyroid levels because they come in with depressive symptoms, make sure that their thyroid is okay. Cause it might just be their thyroid. Never know. Right. So is future OBs here. It is so important to know this history and the risk factors because the consequences of untreated depression and psychosis in this period are devastating. So. A study from 2018 showed that 20% of postpartum causes of death are suicide, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. And another study showed that postpartum psychosis episodes end almost 5% of the time in death of their child. So Aww. it's super scary stuff. Very important to talk about. Even like a couple months ago in the news, there was a woman on the East Coast who killed two of her children. She had three kids um, because she was having a postpartum psychosis episode um and she was trying to seek help and she couldn't really get the help she needed no one believed her and she ended up hurting her children and um yeah really really sad but overall i think this i think that psychiatry and obstetrics today needs to like be better about taking a multidisciplinary approach to treating these patients and identifying at-risk patients ahead of time to give them the tools and knowledge for the possibility of having conditions of postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. Um, and with that, I am ready to talk about anything that you want to talk about, Alicia. Let's do it! Great. All right, Alicia, any, any thoughts on anything we've talked about, really? That was a really fun history. I didn't know any of that, as you know. Um, And I think especially thinking about the theories that people had, Mm -hmm. I thought those were really fun. I mean, of course, they were rooted in what they believed, but they were very misguided. So like the theories of the four humors and like the humors being out of balance. I really liked that one about the crying. Yeah, (laughs) that one's good. Water. That one is so funny. Yeah, it is. Um, and the like Freudian callbacks, of course. I mean, he's everywhere, and like you can't mm-hmm. talk about psychiatry and not talk about him. So true. Um, so I thought that was fun. And then, yeah, it's it's really jarring to hear all of those like kind of facts that you went through, um, especially yeah. the like very high rates of maternal suicide. That's like really jarring. It's very sad. I also was excited by the history. I was I was planning on just like mostly talking about 
it today. And then I was like, I'm just going to see if there's any history out there. And then I was able to find enough where I was like, okay, I'm actually going to talk about this a lot because it's like fun and interesting. And like I said, we're not here to give medical advice either. So I don't want to dive too much into treatments and things because you should talk to a professional about those things and not, not take it from us. Yeah. So I was really happy with like what I found. Not that the theories are interesting. And honestly, the lactation mania is like my favorite i think that's oh, interesting yeah. and like there was a whole like every article was about because this woman's breastfeeding she is manic and it's like okay i guess like association maybe because of the time period but you happen to be breastfeeding when you have these symptoms yes yeah the sepsis thing was interesting the, the sepsis thing is so interesting yeah. like i'm sure that the majority of these cases in ancient history and literally before modern times, before antibiotics was due to sepsis. Like I am, yeah. I, you could, you could tell me that and be like, yes, for sure. Because I've <laughs> even seen articles talk about like theorizing, like how did postpartum depression and psychosis come about? Like, yes, there are these biological components, but there's also like social factors and social pressures of today that could have like made it be more prevalent. So I wonder like actually in ancient times, how many people had, mental illness versus like an infection causing psychosis super interesting stuff yeah but with um like you said Alicia you like were in a clinic who worked with peripartum like mental illness patients and I was wondering if you have any clinical experiences um that you think are notable to talk about from this episode or just like looking back now after talking about these topics if you're like oh like that patient would have been more interesting to like delve more into their psych history for there's two experiences that I think about. One is quite short, but it just ties back into the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale. But I was actually mm-hmm. on the GI liver service taking care mm. of a recently like postpartum patient who had biliary atresia as mm. a child and then had, which for those of you who don't know, it's just like a congenital, like a a disease that you're born with where you're bile from your liver can't get to your intestines where it needs to go yeah um and it is deadly and it will kill you unless you get surgery so she got the surgery for it but now she's in liver failure because the surgery is not a cure it's just Mm. a stepping stone to get to a point where you get a transplant or get a totally new liver Mm -hmm. but this woman was one floridly jaundiced so she was like bright yellow and then additionally very depressed and this was my first rotation so I did not know that much about like any kind of depression scales but I Mm -hmm. looked this up and I found the um EPDS and I gave it to her and I had her fill it out and she like definitely qualified but it was fascinating because I brought it up on rounds and they were like oh that's really great that you looked into this But honestly, in hindsight, I don't really know if we like actually referred her to clinic or not. Um, Yeah. So that is like the one thing that I'm like, oh, wow. If I knew what I knew now, I would have made sure that in her follow up, like discharge in her deposition. Yeah, that she like got referred to peripartum psych clinic. So I'm not sure. It's interesting. Um, Yeah. And then the other story I have is very sad. I think maybe I had like told you about it when it happened, Charlotte. This was before I was even in the hospital, before I was a clinical student, I was just shadowing in um, the high risk OB clinic and we were looking, we were doing ultrasounds and it was the day after a like very sad case had come through the ED. It was a mom. She was pregnant. She came into the ED 
and um, essentially was having like a psychotic episode, but Mm -hmm. because of several kind of systemic things that I don't really know the details of, she was essentially like kind of punted around through like psych and then high risk OB and the ED. Mm -hmm. And it was really the, because her psychotic features kind of came and went it was very mm-hmm. confusing because at different points in time people were meeting her in different headspaces yeah. and so it was just unfortunate because the timing of things ultimately led to her being discharged without follow-up or like admission to the hospital because mm-hmm. by the time certain providers saw her she was not quote-unquote symptomatic yeah. um but she definitely was struggling still because she walked to the top of the parking structure and jumped off yeah and she did live but she like I don't know I think her baby didn't make it and she had broken multiple bones and was getting multiple surgeries and it was terrible terrible yeah I do Um, remember you telling me about that and that's like literally one of the worst stories I've ever heard yeah probably yeah I'll like never forget that story. So yeah, when people I mean, talk it's... about postpartum psychosis, I will always take them seriously and believe them yes, because it's super if you serious. Have it's an emergency. Inkling of it, I would just admit that person to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, like it's not like it's that woman's fault. Like she literally is in a psychic episode, which is super dangerous to anyone. Even if like just a psychic episode in general, is super dangerous to a person. But yeah. Uh, my only clinical experience is, of course, like handing out the Edinburgh scale in pediatrics. Like we were very vigilant about like giving the moms them and like going over them and making sure that um, if they need to have a referral or not. But I did see one patient in that I like thinking back now, I'm like, oh, we should have done this. I saw one patient in a high risk OB clinic and it was a mom like new, like newly pregnant coming in and she was bipolar takes a lot of bipolar medication. So she came in to talk about being bipolar and being pregnant because a lot of medications you take when you're bipolar have like really bad effects on your baby in the early, in the early stages. So she came in to basically like talk about what meds she could take. And we were like working, we were calling the psychiatrist and like working with them to figure out, okay, like these are the meds you should be taking um, during your pregnancy because you're bipolar. But thinking back, like bipolar is a huge risk for having postpartum psychosis. And I feel like we didn't do this. And I feel like we should have is like in these appointments where a woman is presenting with these past medical histories, I almost think there should be a conversation about like, this is your psych history and these like you're at risk for these conditions possibly down the line. So we just want to tell you so that you are aware of it and that and like, so you can tell your loved ones and family ones so they are aware of it too. So if it does happen to you, we're not saying it is going to happen, but if it does, like you are prepared for it basically. I feel like yeah. that would be like super helpful to women who have these psych histories who are at a higher risk. So they're not like shocked when it happens or if they like do have a psychosis episode and they need to go to the emergency room, like they know what's going on, you know, and they know the risk to their baby too, because they might already experience like manic episodes, but it could present a lot differently in postpartum or just the perinatal um, period in general, honestly. And they should know about the risks I feel like so looking back I like kind of wish that was a conversation that the high risk OB like might have had with her and maybe he did like later on following up with her through her pregnancy but just something I think about now for sure yeah could be something you incorporate yeah exactly and then speaking of incorporating things so OB 
I think is often like viewed very separately from medicine as a whole. Like it's just a OB, OB gyn, like both fields of obstetrics and gynecology are very different than other forms of medicine that you work with. And, but in reality, it's like very closely linked to other medical specialties. And I almost feel like there's not always a good multidisciplinary approach to working with obstetrics patients. And I wonder, Alicia, if you have any good experiences like multidisciplinary obstetrics clinics, whether it's psych or like anything else, honestly. And if you have any like good ideas or models of ways to address like different conditions that obstetrics should, you know, work with other teams on. Just in general, doesn't have to be even psychology. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because I actually think that OB, I would like argue against your original point that OB is very separate from all the others. I think it's treated as separate, but to be honest, I don't think the field of OB, as someone who is going to be an OB-GYN, I don't think the field of OB-GYN is actually necessary in the sense that you could take every single part of this field and put it under something else like a hundred percent yes but the only through line is that it's like you're taking care of people with um (laughs) whose sex is female like that's what it is is like they have female anatomy and therefore they're all like lumped into this one yeah group um but in theory we don't need like every single part of what is in mm-hmm. OB-GYN. Like someone else can yes. take care of it. But, but everyone's we too do scared to take care of these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we do take care of these people because of the way that our society has kind of just grouped all problems as women's mm-hmm. problems. Um, but I just like think that's something that I find interesting and in have yeah. like thinking about more. Um, but there's a couple clinics here that I have seen that are really phenomenal at having a multidisciplinary approach. One is outside of OB. And it's actually um, when I was on my addiction medicine Mm -hmm. elective, I saw this, like I rotated at this clinic and it was a um, alcoholic liver disease clinic. And it's really cool. You have a liver specialist who does like hepatology. Mm -hmm. She's like the liver medicine person. Then immediately after a patient sees her they see the psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and then immediately after the patient sees him they see a psychologist Mm. and talk about like therapy options and stuff and it's really cool they do an amazing job in this clinic like the three providers are just like really working together and they see all these patients and they come in and talk about the patients together before the next provider Mm -hmm. goes in so it's really cool I think it's like one of the most special clinics I've ever yeah it's been a part of or been able to witness and then the other clinic is an OB clinic. Um, we have a very good cardio obstetrics mm. clinic at Michigan. Um, and so we have like every week or every other week, we have our OB, like cardio obstetrics specialist, mm-hmm. um, who's actually my mentor and I mm-hmm. love her so much, but she's like the cardio obstetrics person. And then we also have a cardiologist who specializes in like OB cardio oh, obstetrics, so but she takes care of the cardiology yeah. side. It's so cool. So every Wednesday, they like every Wednesday afternoon, these two are like tag teaming their patients and like seeing them both yeah. together. Um, and it just makes for really good quality care because it's like more multimodal. Yeah, for sure. I think even like having the um OBs and psych work together more. I also think OBs and pediatricians should be more like closely linked. Um, Alicia was just on her oh, NICU yeah. rotation and like 
just having like a good handoff of the baby like from OB to peas is so important and I feel like there needs to be like better relationships between the two fields um they can work together a lot more I agree they do not need to be as fraught as they are but I think like at least as an OB what I'm going to try to do is just like be very open to yeah. questions and like want to elicit the information that they need because like you are taking care of two patients until you are no longer taking care of two patients and you only yeah, have but the other patient still and, like exists. someone else is assuming care yeah. of exactly you need to make sure that your handoff yeah. is really good and I often um, would see like and it's not that yeah difficult. like it's just you know providing an accurate accurate history of how the pregnancy went so that the pediatrician knows what to expect about about this newborn basically um something that needs to be addressed very well too yeah, multidisciplinary clinics are very interesting. I, I went to a cleft palate clinic at the Children's Hospital in Detroit, and it was so interesting. It was a plastic surgeon, an ENT, a um, pediatric dentist, um, a speech pathologist, an oromaxillofacial surgeon, and something wow. else. There were two others. Oh, social work. And mm, I can't remember the seventh. There were seven specialties. This clinic happens um once a week but it's a year waitlist to get on it and basically these cleft palate patients they go to this clinic like once a year and they might see like those other doctors at other times but like once a year they go to this clinic where they see like all of the doctors at once and then afterwards they have like a big meeting to go through each patient and make sure like they're being addressed and i that was like the first like huge multidisciplinary clinic i saw and i was like this is so cool and interesting and there's a ton of like fields in medicine in general for talking generally that do multidisciplinary work, like cancer board, like having like a tumor board at a hospital is super interesting. Yeah, and that's like board. the mm-hmm. surge onc, there's like med onc, rad onc, like all the different basically oncology specialties within other specialties meet up and talk about patients and how to address their cancer, which I think is really interesting as well. But yeah, I do think OB um, could be better at working with other specialties because Sometimes other specialties are scared of working with pregnant patients. Not sometimes. They are scared of working with pregnant patients, which is why they get sent to OB. But really, there could be like a really good communications between the two specialties to help like have very good overall care for those patients. Yeah, I agree. But that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed learning about peripartum mental illnesses. If you want to learn more about topics like this, then just go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And you can also leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is a great place for both of those. And you can leave ratings on Spotify. Yep. And you can also follow us. Yep. And you can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, um, lots of places. And you can check out our (laughs) Instagram. That's a big one. And you can check out our website for more information, show notes, sources, merch, and more. And that's from certs scrubs.com and lastly here is to the women who fought for us to be where we are today and may we do the same for those who come after us yeah thanks everyone we'll talk to you next time oh also note our next episode may be a week late just so everyone knows so if it doesn't show up in two weeks it'll show up the next week um you will know when you know just give a heads up to everyone (laughs) okay yes see you next time everyone (laughs) Bye. Bye.